I invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles, take the Lord's Word this morning, and, and turn to the Old Testament book of Proverbs and its 11th chapter. We are in the middle of our sort of summer uh, series on the convictions of a faithful church. Uh, we've been looking together at various principles that drive our uh, priorities, our philosophy of ministry, uh, not, certainly not all of them, but some of them, uh, principles that drive the ministries that we undertake. Uh, we began a couple of Sundays ago with one of those that is so foundational, uh, namely the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, Brian addressed the topic, uh, that particular topic from 2 Timothy chapter 3, as we considered the profitability and the purpose of Scripture. And then last week, uh, Mike Payne preached on the significance of our citizenships. Uh, we looked at both our earthly citizenship and what it means for us to relate to governing authorities uh, with a motivation to please the Lord, uh, as well as our heavenly citizenship as believers, which is eternal and reserved for us because of our union with Jesus and the preserving work of the Holy Spirit. So we have, we have a responsibility to be faithful and to live in light of both aspects of our citizenship. Well, this morning we want to consider another conviction, uh, a conviction that drives and directs what we do as a church, and it has to do with counseling, counseling. Uh, the need for us to receive counsel uh, as well as to uh, provide it. In uh, 53 BC, uh, there was a battle fought between the Roman Republic and the Parthian Empire known as the, pa the Battle of Carre. Uh, Marcus Crassus was a member of the first triumvirate along with Pompey and Julius Caesar, uh, perhaps at the time the wealthiest man in Rome. Uh, at the time, uh, Parthia actually had a treaty with Rome, but for various reasons, uh, Crassus was moved to invade Parthia without the official consent of the Senate. Uh, rejecting an offer from the king of Armenia to allow Crassus to invade Parthia via that particular country, uh, Crassus marched his army directly through the deserts of Mesopotamia but was soundly defeated by Parthian forces under the leadership of a Parthian general named Serena. It was one of the first major battles between the Romans and the Parthians, but it was also one of the most humiliating defeats for the Romans. Uh, the Roman forces uh, numbered somewhere between 36 and 43,000 men, whereas the Parthians had roughly a fourth of that. But Crassus was driven by greed and envy, and one of his greatest mistakes was to rush to war expecting an easy campaign. After all, the numbers were uh, in his favor. Uh, they had already experienced uh, many victories, had many successes and victories under their belt already, so Crassus expected Parthia to be an easy target. The reality was Crassus ignored sound advice. He was overconfident. Cicero referred to it as a war with no justification. In the end, Roman casualties amounted to about 20,000 killed and 10,000 Romans captured, which made the battle one of the costliest and embarrassing defeats in Roman history. Crassus, in the end, even though he attempted to make some sort of a truth, a truce uh, with the Parthians, uh, he and his generals were killed. And after his death, the Parthians allegedly poured molten gold down his throat in a symbolic gesture mocking Crassus's renowned greed. Uh, it's a dramatic illustration, uh, an illustration of what can happen when a person is right in their own eyes. Uh, when a person 
decides that they're going to resist the advice of others. Uh, An illustration of what happens when a person decides to do something without counting the cost or when they think that they know better than everyone else. Uh, It's a dangerous place to be and it's a dangerous place to live, a dangerous way to live, and the book of Proverbs speaks to this kind of thing. And so today we want to take some time to examine the book of Proverbs and to see what it has to say about the importance of of counsel, the importance of counsel. And we'll group our thoughts uh, this morning under two sort of broad headings or two principles. The first principle is this, the safety of any people calls for an openness to counseling. The safety of any people calls for an openness to counseling. I believe you're already there in Proverbs chapter 11. You'll notice verse 14 Uh, This is what it says in the English Standard Version. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is a victory. Uh, The term is teshua. Uh, There is, you might even say, salvation. Uh, There is security. Uh, Deliverance is, is more likely the proverb teaches us, with good advice, assuming that the counselors and the advisors are wise. But when there is little or no advice or little or no direction, a fall is sure to come. And that phrase, where there is no guidance, is, is I believe, really an idiom which refers to knowing the ropes. Uh, it, it's ac- it actually refers to the tackle of a ship. Uh, or of all, all of the, the roping that must be managed or mastered in order to steer and operate a vessel. So the godly man, or you might say the godly person, according to the book of Proverbs, is the person who takes the trouble to know his way around. It's a person who has discernment, a person who see things, uh, sees things clearly, a person who is shrewd, a person who can plan his course realistically. In other words, there is nothing commendable about living life just sort of bumbling around without any sort of organization, no priorities, no, no goal, goals, or, or an and, 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 and unwillingness uh, to make plans and to work towards accomplishing them. Proverbs says the wise man knows the ropes. He plans realistically. For example, in Proverbs chapter 23, or excuse me, 22 verse 3, the text says the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So the wise man sees the pitfall, he, he sees the evil, he sees what's coming, and he sort of gets, he gets out of the way of it. Whereas the simple or the naive person just keeps on going and suffers for it because he doesn't know the ropes. In fact, the book of Proverbs as a whole is intended to teach us the ropes of life. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says that the Proverbs have this particular aim. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So if you would know the ropes of life, if you were to have sound counsel in this life, then the particular instruction that Proverbs 14, 11 gives us is to get all of the advice that you can. Even when those voices run contrary to your preconceived desires. Because one of the mistakes that we've all made is that we, at times, we make up, we make up our minds right? We make up our minds about something. We make up our minds about some decision. And then when good advice comes to us, 
and new information is presented and facts, factors that we haven't seen are laid before us, we say, yeah, but I've already got my heart set on this, right? I'm already heading down this particular path. Proverbs says it's, it's never too late. It's never too late to make a wise rather than a foolish decision. But this is true of the human condition, that we seldom seek advice. And when we do, we often seek what we want to hear. Or as we say, we go, we go window shopping for counsel, right? We, we go looking for something specific. We go looking for something that's going to align and agree with our desires and our, our wants, a couple of months ago, uh, when Jeff Horn and I were in Croatia, we had spent the week uh, actually addressing uh, with the students there at the, the uh, academy on the teaching on the topic of counseling. And uh, at the end of the week, we had a day to sort of relax a little bit. We went to downtown uh, Zagreb. It was a beautiful day. Uh, everybody was out. You could tell it was sort of the, uh, sort of post-COVID. <laughs> like people were very eager to be out and socializing and enjoying the restaurants and enjoying the the shops and whatnot. And I was I was looking for a a piece of artwork uh, to purchase and to bring home. Uh, just a small piece of artwork. I had had something very specific that I was looking for, and so I had asked. Uh, Chris and Nina Brackett, if they would sort of take us to a part of town where there might be some some shops that we could look at. So we did that. We visited a number of places, uh, but I did not have to stay in in uh, any one of them very long because I had something very specific that I was shopping for, right? So I would, in some cases, I would just go up to the window and I would look in and you could see if it was a store that had just all the typical souvenirs and knickknacks, <laughs> Uh, that you would that you would have in a, in a in a sort of touristy type location, uh, even if it was a place that even was uh, even sold or, or had different art pieces. I was looking for a specific sort of genre of that, and so I just would look briefly. I would I might go in a few steps and immediately know this is not what I'm looking for. And then we it wasn't long. It actually didn't take us uh, very much time, but we came to this one art store and they had it. They not only had one piece, they had a number of pieces. Well, sometimes people do that in their decision-making, right? Uh, they're looking for something very specific, some specific form of advice. And so they, they, they go and they approach various people. They, they, they are uh, seemingly seeking out different opinions, but the reality is they've already made up their minds. They already know what they want in their heart, and that's the only advice they're going to receive. Uh, they're only seeking the advice that they like and that will allow them to advance and continue on in their course. But the purpose of advice is not to confirm our thinking, but to establish our thinking. And that's why it's helpful to seek advice from several perspectives, because that process often reveals blind spots in our own thoughts. So when we do that, Proverbs eleven fourteen says that that is a safeguard. It's a safeguard. But again, here's the warning. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. And in this case, it's not necessarily a personal collapse, but it's a corporate disaster that awaits a people who do not seek nor heed wise counsel. Now, this could be a nation, so we could be talking about here, if you will, sort of a, a nation of fools, but it could also apply, I think, to a family. Uh, sometimes there are entire families who are characterized by this sort of self-willed uh, foolishness, uh, an inability or an unwillingness to be corrected, where everyone in the family has their own opinion uh, and they all have what they want, and every member of the family makes up their own mind. And their goal is to simply convince everyone else to give in to their view and their desires. Certainly not what family life was intended to be, this sort of tug-of-war, this sort of competition among members of the family. 
And what about a congregation or a flock? Sometimes church members don't listen to wise counsel. In fact, this morning, the very people who are here who need to listen to this message the most intently may likely be the ones who don't. Those who have the least tendency to be open to advice are the ones who are in need of this morning's message the most. But because they are not usually open to advice, they probably won't be open to the substance of this sermon. On the other hand, those believers who are the most teachable and most open to correction will, for those reasons, be most inclined to hear and to act on this sermon. That's the irony, that those who need this sermon the least will be the most eager to not hear it or to hear it. So sometimes you have people that hear the word of God taught and preached, uh, but they go out and and nothing about their lives changes for the better. Uh, You have people who won't listen to pastoral counsel, who won't listen to uh, their shepherds. And then on occasion, you have situations, unfortunately, where the leaders and shepherds themselves won't listen to advice. Of course, this is one of the blessings of having a plurality of men who lead the church. Uh, There's there's no one person who's making all of the decisions because we are all prone to have narrow and to have tunnel vision, prone to overlook factors that are important prone to be self-seeking. That's why it's, it's unwise to have one charismatic man leading the congregation. The pastors and the elders are, are meant to lead and to make decisions and to provide oversight and care for the flock together. And I'm so thankful that that's what we are striving to do here. So whatever the context whether it's the life of a nation or the life of a family or a church, we should be characterized by wise guidance and and an open-mindedness and and a pliable and a a teachable spirit. Now, let's pursue this a little further. Turn over to Proverbs 12. You'll notice there verse 15 says, and we read something similar in Proverbs 3, but it, Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So it's a sad verse, but it's not one that needs, very, that needs much explanation because it's so obvious. This is what a wise man does. This is what a, a, a genuinely reasonable person does. He is willing to test himself for prejudice. Now, we all need to test ourselves for, for error, and a lot of this, again, I'm, there's an, an assumption here. We go back to the very first week of this series. There's an assumption that we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. So we're not trying to substitute uh, advice for Scripture, okay? We're always supposed to be testing what we believe and what we do Uh, based upon the truth of God's word. And so we're testing ourselves in a sense for error. And all of us need to be testing ourselves for having overlooked factors that we should have taken into account in making a decision. But the one who is truly mature and walking in wisdom is particularly going to test himself for prejudice. That is to say, when making a decision, he is going to look long and hard at himself and think, I know that I have a tendency to move in this direction, to be blind to these sort, uh, sorts of things or to be blind to certain things when it comes to, to this particular issue or this particular question. And if you can't do that, then how will you escape the condemnation of this verse? You say, well, well I think it's right. But the question is, are you being right in your own eyes? Uh, Is there some kind of public 
objective, rational truth to what you're saying. In other words, if other faithful believers knew what you knew, would they be able to come to the same conclusion that you have? I think that's one of the reasons why we don't like people to scrutinize what we're doing. As long as we are the the ones able to make the decision, and nobody knows how we got to that decision, then you can give off the appearance that you've taken everything into account when in actuality you haven't. No one can, can criticize you. No one can say that you came to the wrong conclusion. And we like that. We, we like having the comfort of not needing to change course, of not having to say that we are wrong, of not having to be corrected. But how will you know if you're just being right in your own eyes? When a person behaves in a manner that suggests that he is never wrong, that he doesn't need input, that he always knows what is best, he isn't as wise as he imagines, imagines himself to be, according to Proverbs. I witness this all the time in different counseling settings. It makes the situation extremely difficult when that individual that you're trying to help has already made up his or her mind in advance. All you seem to get is your advice sort of volleyed back to you. They always have something to say. They make all kinds of excuses that, you know, we don't have to do this uh, or that other thing. And the effort to persuade this person appears futile, although in most cases we just keep sharing the truth of Scripture, right, and the wisdom of God because we know how, how powerful that that is. The sad thing in those circumstances is that some just won't listen. They spurn counsel because they think that they're right. They deceive themselves. Charles Bridges, in his very helpful commentary on the book of Proverbs, he says this. He's speaking of the fool in this particular passage, and he writes, quote, He needs no direction, asks no counsel, is stubborn in his own way, because it is his own, and follows it to his own ruin. His chief danger, he says, is his security. And then he blurts this out. It's, it's, he's, he's writing this commentary, but it's like he's, he, he just can't help himself. He actually sort of blurts this out in his, in his commentary. He says, oh my God, save me from myself, from my own self-deceitfulness. In another place, he writes, our wisdom lies in self-distrust, at least leaning to the suspicion that we may be wrong. Our wisdom lies in self-distrust, at least leaning to the suspicion that we may be wrong. Let's look at another proverb in the same, same vein, Proverbs 13, verse 10. Proverbs 13, 10, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Here the writer speaks of one who is insolent or proud, one who acts presumptuously, uh, one who is overly confident. And in this instance, it's contrasted with those who are well advised, which means that one of the ways that you can gauge the level of pride in your life is in most cases by how often or not that you seek advice from others. And the effect that that counsel has upon you when you receive it. And this verse reminds us that in the clash of unyielding minds and hearts, pride is always a key ingredient when people have inflated views of their own opinions. And what is the result? Strife, contention, particularly, I think, of a, a war of words. Or, or an argument. 
On the other hand, wise men show themselves prepared to change their minds when presented with new information and more reasonable ideas than their own. That is to say, they are willing to change course. One of the clearest examples of this, I think, in the Old Testament is found in Exodus chapter 18. You may remember this scene. Moses was struggling with keeping up with the demands of teaching and leading and judging the people of of Israel. And his father-in-law came to to him with some very practical and God-honoring counsel. Exodus chapter 18 verse 13 says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws." Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, counsel, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover... Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds or fifties and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place In peace. And this is the key. Verse 24. So Moses listened. (laughs) Moses listened to his father in law. Listened to his father in law, the voice of his father in law, and did all that he had said. That's what we're talking about. Wise, loving counsel given, and wise, loving counsel received. And when good counsel and open-mindedness and humility come together, the Scripture says there is security and there is victory. So our first principle is this. The safety of any people calls for an openness to counseling. Let's move on to our second principle. The success of any plan calls for an openness to counseling. The success of any plan calls for an openness to counseling. Take a look at Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So the emphasis here is not necessarily on people, but on plans or intentions, uh, even inventions, That is to say, things which are devised or things which are designed. And the warning is similar, similar to but different than that found in chapter 11, verse 14. This this particular proverb says that plans are made ineffectual or are frustrated when there is insufficient counsel. And the word for counsel actually emphasizes private consultation. Or the kind of advice a person would receive from a circle of confidants. So the success of any plan calls for an openness to counseling and counseling from many people. Right? Or to use the English, uh, to use an English idiom, two heads are better than one. Right? And three heads are better than two and, and so on. But when you don't have a lot of advice, when you don't consider all the necessary factors, when you're blind to the things that you need to see, then your plans are frustrated. And every one of you could testify to that fact. You could say, here's the testimony of my life to what this verse is saying. I had a plan one time. 
a, pl- a, a plan to do such and such. I didn't listen to anybody. In fact, I didn't think that I needed to listen to anybody. It was so clear to me that I didn't even seek counsel or advice from anyone. And you know what? Things did not work out the way that I had planned. Now, this raises a question. What what about when you seek advice and the counsel that you receive is all over the place? Uh, and some of the counsel conflicts with what other people are saying. Uh, in, that, in that kind of situation, is it necessarily true that a person's plans will be established? Well, what I would say is that e- even in that situation, you're better off than seeking no counsel at all. Because you'll still be exposed to more considerations than you would have had on your own. You'll likely see the pros And the cons more clearly, you'll be forced to reckon with things that you would not have had to reckon with otherwise. Look over at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Simply put, true wisdom is not short-sighted. Again, that's a problem for many of us. We are... Uh, We tend to be short-sighted, we tend to be uh, myopic, Uh, we tend to lack uh, foresight. When we go to make a decision, we sometimes are tempted to only look at the immediate factors and the immediate consequences of our decisions. But wisdom considers the end. And that's a theme throughout Proverbs. Uh, Back in Proverbs chapter 5, there's a, a whole section there that's talking about uh, the, the issue of, of adultery, not just the act of adultery, but the, if you will, the process of uh, the allurement of that. And it says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So true wisdom looks ahead. True wisdom considers one's long-term investment. Of course, our culture, culture naturally encourages the very opposite of that. Our culture is all about the quick fix. It's all about the immediate Gratification. Listen to God's lament in Deuteronomy 32:29. This is actually in the Song of Moses. Psalm 32, verse 28 says, For they, this is the Lord speaking, saying, For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this, and they would discern their latter end. If they were wise, they would discern their latter end. So God says, listen to counsel, receive instruction, that you may receive wisdom and the rewards of wisdom in the future. But verse 27 of Proverbs 19 says the opposite of this. It says that those who trifle with the truth by being unteachable drift into error and they put up, in a sense, it's as if they barricade themselves off from knowledge. Notice Proverbs 19.27, Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. It's an occupational hazard for a young person. To to imagine that, that you don't need to seek the advice of others, especially of those who are older or more experienced than you. But Proverbs says that's a foolish, it's a foolish way to live. You are going to err. Look over at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18. It's an interesting verse. It says, Proverbs 20, 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Now, the point of that verse isn't to encourage the believer to start a war, right? The point is to emphasize that every purpose is established by counsel, especially the most consequential of choices that are made. 
whether to go to war or not. If you want your plan to be established, if you want it to be successful, it's going to require counsel and advice. So by wise guidance, make war. In fact, interestingly, Jesus himself pointed out the necessity of foresight in chapter uh, 14 of Luke. Uh, And he was doing this, and is it sort of related to uh, his disciples and uh, them following him? He actually used this illustration. You may remember this in Luke 14, 28. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great, great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So it's a, it's a similar principle, right? If there's ever... If there's ever a time to get advice, it would be before launching out and engaging in battle. Why? Because you know that the consequences of not doing so are so frightening and costly. There is so much at stake in that decision. So Proverbs says, plans are established by counsel. No matter how big or small, You don't have to be some national leader weighing the pros and the cons of war. You may be a husband trying to provide for your family. You may be a mother uh, making decisions regarding the children. You may be a student trying to decide how many classes to enroll in. You may be a widow wondering about how to prepare for the future. You may be a businessman concerned about expanding the business or not. You may be an employee considering a new position at the company or the prospect of going somewhere else. You may be a single person trying to to manage relationships and priorities. Every purpose and every choice you make can be helped and established by sound advice. There's one more verse that is similar to this, and that's Proverbs 24, verse 6. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise guidance, you can wage war, wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Again, there's victory. There is deliverance, safety, salvation, all gained by a multitude of counselors, getting as many perspectives as you can and overriding hidden or purposeful prejudice and bias. So how many counselors do you have in your life? Who do you really talk to about your decisions? Husbands and wives, do you talk a lot about the decisions that you make? Do you ever reach out to your pastors or elders or to faithful Christian brother or sister to get advice? Who do you, on a regular basis, consult for help? If you don't have a multitude of people, especially faithful Christians, speaking into your life for counsel, for exhortation and correction, Proverbs says you're a sitting duck. Easy prey. But with counsel, there's victory. Which means you'd better have a multitude if you want to be victorious, established, and fruitful for the Lord. Now, what are some of the applications we can take away from from all of this proverbial wisdom? And I want to just, let me just suggest a few to you this morning. For starters... All of these truths really do confront any mystical notions that we may have about divine guidance. Uh, it, is a, it is a sad distraction in the Christian church when people are taught that when facing a decision, 
that they should just pray about it and let God guide them? Uh, People will, they have this idea that God will just sort of give them an impulse uh, or that God is going to just give me some kind of feeling and then I'll know that this is the right course, this is the right path, the right decision, the right choice. I'll know if it's right, which sounds sort of pious, sounds spiritual, but it's so unbiblical, so unbiblical. That is not... God's idea of guidance. That is closing your mind to studying an issue, assuming that you know what you need to know and asking God to push you in a certain direction. God, show me what job to take. God, show me what person I should marry. God, show me what school I should attend. God, show me what mission field to go to. I'm saying in some of those situations, that is, that is nothing but just turning off your reasoning ability and expecting God to put you on the right path. And that is not pleasing to the Lord. And unfortunately, again, we've all operated that way at some time or another. And thank God that he mercifully saves us sometimes from our foolishness. But that is not the way that we should go about making decisions. How should we, how should we go about making decisions? Well, we gather relevant facts We put down the pros and the cons. We think through worst case and best case scenarios. We know as much as we can about the situation. We study and know what the word of God has to say about the issue. Because guidance comes by the rational application of God's teaching to the objective facts of the situation. And we walk by faith in what God's word says. And it comes when we learn biblical principles and then get wisdom and maturity and skill in applying them to the details of life. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray about the matter. We need to pray. We need to pray for forgiveness. We need to ask God to teach us, to lead us. We need to pray that that he will teach us his truth, that he will expose our sinful biases to give us maturity but beyond prayer we need to open our eyes and say here are the facts as we know them and do our best to understand the situation to do our best to take everything that God's word says about that into account and to seek the advice of others and draw our conclusions at the end which if we were to write it out if we were to write out if you will sort of a flow chart of how I got from here to there, that I could give that to another believer and say, does this look right to you? And the vast majority of cases have people say, yes, that makes sense. That is biblical guidance, not mystical guidance. Secondly, do you see the strength and the stability that wise counselors can bring to the church, can bring to the church body, We said it earlier, we're all prone to wander to one degree or another. So let me me just say this, listen listen to your elders. We're here to help you. We're not infallible, but we are here to look after your souls as those who will give an account to God. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you get in a situation where the advice of your elders is going against, against some preconceived idea, that ought to weigh on you. It ought to weigh on you. That's not something to take lightly. You would be a foolish sheep if when your shepherds speak to you, you say, well, I don't have to hear that. That would be folly. Just based on what we've seen this morning in the Proverbs. Beyond that, and this includes all of us, all of us as believers should be offering counsel to one another. All of us as believers should be offering counsel to one another. Sometimes we're afraid to do that. We're afraid that we're going to make a mistake. Romans chapter 15, verse 14, Paul assures the congregation at Rome, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Every believer is possessed by God through the Spirit 
That spirit was given for the conviction of sin. It was given to comfort. That spirit was given to guide. And those are the very things that certain counseling situations call for. All of us are able to teach and admonish in some way, and we're to be actively engaged in that. Which leads to another application. If we should be doing that, if we should be counseling each other and exhorting each other and taking to each other, uh, talking to each other about uh, our life decisions and our life direction, then we should all be sure that our counsel is biblically oriented, pointing to the need for a greater study and obedience to the scriptures for all of us. Is it possible that one of the reasons that you are hesitant to counsel is that you're not sure what the Bible teaches or where you stand in regard to this, that, or the other issue? If you're biblically sort of ignorant, you're, you're not going to be very bold about telling others what to do or not to do or how to do it. And if you are real bold and biblically ignorant, you're probably an unbeliever because you trust in yourself, you think you know everything and are convinced everybody needs your personal insight. But if, you're a, but if you are a true Christian, then you know that you need help. But if you haven't studied the one objective and accurate source of help that God has given to us, then you're going to be less inclined to offer it to others. So we need to be better students of the scriptures, we need to get more and more familiar with the ultimate counselor's manual, the Bible. We, we don't want to be blind guides to the blind and all end up in the pit. We, we want to be a biblically instructed guide, growing in the likeness of Christ and walking in the image of the wonderful counselor. And then finally, we need to have a greater receptivity to counsel. A greater receptivity to advice from others. In James chapter 3, James is speaking about, interestingly, wisdom. Speaking about wisdom that is from above, which is what Proverbs is all about. It's all about divine wisdom. And so James is talking about wisdom from above and the characteristics of the person who has divine wisdom. And notice what he says in verse 17. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and then notice this phrase, open to reason. Open to reason. Reasonable. Uh, You could translate it easily persuaded. Willing to yield. Uh, that's why the King James translates it, easy to be entreated. The NIV actually translated, translates it as submissive. Certainly has that idea. So James says, the wisdom from above is open to persuasion. So don't be closed-minded. Don't be right in your own eyes. Don't isolate Yourself from the counsel of others. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Seek the counsel of others. In abundance, in an abundance of counselors, There is victory. So the stability of counselors. This is a conviction of faith, community, church, that we need to be both eager to receive wise counsel and we need to be equipped to give wise counsel. Speaking the truth in love, conversing in honest nutritious, constructive, timely, and grace-filled ways. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is part of your calling. It's part of your calling to receive wise counsel and to be equipped, prepared, 
willing and able to give counsel to others. And in that there is deliverance. Or you may be here this morning and you've not submitted your life to Jesus Christ. You, you may not even know it, but you're in danger of turning away from the most sound advice you could receive. And that is found in the gospel itself. The good news that Jesus died and was condemned in your place on the cross so that you could be reconciled to God. I urge you, don't turn away from him. Don't spurn his love. Don't spurn his grace. Don't ignore his warnings. Heed the Lord and his word now. Turn from your life of sin and believe on Christ today. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, forgive us for our close-mindedness, Lord, when we don't seek or heed the advice that we need. Thank you, Father, for the ways in which you provide for us. You give us your word. You give us elders to care for us. You give us brothers and sisters in Christ to help us. Would you give us a wisdom that is truly from you, that is both rooted in the truth and yet open to godly persuasion, that we would not be tossed about, but that we would receive the correction and the comfort and the admonitions and the encouragements that we need, lest we be hardened in our own hearts. Help us to be people that are humble and equip us to be able to give counsel to others in their time of need. Lord, help us to trust you, to trust in your wisdom, that we would find success in our projects and plans and relationships, that our decisions would honor you. Help us as a congregation to build up one another. Give us a greater measure of love and brotherly concern, a greater measure of involvement in the lives of one another as we steward and as we enjoy the life of the body of Christ, the church. We pray in the name of the head of the church, our Lord Jesus. Amen.